I entitled today's message, A Gift for the Everyman. And I would just hope that today's message brings Christmas into a brand new light for you. So, let's see what we can find this morning. Psalm 23, page 392, and the Bible's handed to you. Everybody got one? Good. All right. The psalmist, as he was writing, recognized that as he himself was a shepherd, he understood the value, the power of what a shepherd is. And he began to realize in many of the same ways was God his shepherd. The one that cared for him, guided him, directed him. Right? So he wrote this, very small chapter, but powerful. Let's just read through this. You can follow along with me. He said, The Lord is my shepherd, and I shall not be in want. He makes me lie down in green pastures, and He leads me beside quiet waters. He restores my soul. He guides me in paths of righteousness for His name's sake. And even though I walk through the valley of the shadow of death, I will fear no evil, for You are with me. Your rod and your staff, they comfort me. You prepare a table before me in the presence of my enemies. You anoint my head with oil. My cup overflows. Surely goodness and love will follow me all the days of my life. And I will dwell in the house of the Lord forever. How many of you have read the book by Philip Keller, uh, Shepherd's Look at Psalm 23? Anybody ever read that book? Powerful, powerful book. He goes through this from a shepherd's point of view. He said, listen, I've done this for a living. It's what I understand. Let me tell you, when he writes this, here's what a shepherd might be thinking. And so he goes through and breaks down some of the things we would work of a shepherd. He said, as you go through this, he said, if God is my shepherd, I will not be in one because he knows that sheep are stupid. Right? Kind of like us. They will eat out all the grass in their area and they will starve to death. If a shepherd doesn't move them on, they're done. If a shepherd isn't guiding them, watching out for what they need and consistently moving them around so that they might continue to have sustenance, they just don't know how to do it on their own. He said, if God is my shepherd, there will never be a time... When everything dries up for me, he will always have a remnant there. He knows where the green pastures are. He knows where to guide me. I don't know. I don't know where to go. I think maybe this job is going to solve it. Or maybe this relationship is going to fill me up. Or maybe this. Then all of a sudden it's completely blank. And we have to look back at the Heavenly Father, our shepherd. And he says, come here. What are you doing over there? No, 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 we already walked that. No, we're going over here. Oh, but God, it's scary over there. Yeah, but don't you understand that right around the corner is green pastures? And you're with me. What are you worried about? The Lord is my shepherd. I shall not be in one. Then he says, he makes me lie down in green pastures. Now, it sounds funny in our language. It makes it sound like he just shoves the sheep down, right? He makes them lie down. He's like, you'll lie down here, right? That's not what it means at all. In a shepherd's world, they realize that sheep have no defensive mechanisms, right? Sheep are the lamest fighters ever. 
Okay? They're not going to go into boxing. They can't do anything. They're huge cotton balls. They have nothing to defend themselves. They can bite you. That's about it. Right? Even their hooves are lousy. Right? They can't even do a whole lot with that. They realize that because they don't have a lot of defense mechanism, they're very skittish and nervous. They will not lie down until they're free from danger. So what a shepherd must do is provide not just safety, but safety that the sheep can feel. Then they'll lie down. It says what? He makes me lie down in green pastures. He leads me beside quiet waters. You remember what he said about that? Sheep don't like to drink from running water. Why? The water goes up their nose. Right? I mean, think about it practically. If you're trying to drink from a river and you have to shove your head in the water, the water's going to go up your nose. That's bothersome. So what the shepherd sometimes does is scrape out a portion on the edge of the riverbank and allow the water to eddy and slow down. Then the sheep will come and drink. In other words, even that thirst... We don't know how to do it. We're scared. We don't understand why everything's going up our nose. And then God carves out a little space. And he says, is that calm enough? And we begin to drink. He goes on and on. And we could sit there and talk about this. This obviously isn't my message, but it's a good intro. It goes on and on about how God guides us and protects us. And he has a rod and a staff that sometimes is used for our discipline. But it's also protective because it keeps away the enemies. It talks about anointing my head with oil. And even though I believe the psalmist was likely talking about the anointing that kings would receive, it's also very possible he would be talking about the might problem in the sheep's ears and how a sheep needs to be dipped to cleanse out that which irritates inside their ears. As a matter of fact, some sheep will get mites in their ears to the degree where they will ram their head against something just to try to get it out until they die. How many demons do we face in our past where we end up in our lives self-destructing by ramming our heads into the wall because we can't get it out? But we need the soothing oil of God's Holy Spirit to course through and cleanse it. Do you understand how powerful this passage is? What we will be focusing on this morning is to look at the Christmas story from another perspective. The perspective of the shepherds. What were they thinking? Why were they chosen? Right? These are common, average, ordinary men. And yet they were picked by God to be the first preachers of the newborn Messiah. Would you turn with me to Luke chapter 2? Luke chapter 2, it's page 724. The Bible is handed to you. And while we're turning there, I'm going to give you a little bit of facts on shepherds. Not only was God called the good shepherd, but Jesus used that title of himself. John 10, he said, I'm the good shepherd. The sheep know my voice. I know them. But it wasn't just them. Israel was a whole nation full of shepherds. All the way from the beginning. The first Jew, right, was Abraham. He had flocks. And shepherds that he had working for him. Jacob, his grandson, he was a shepherd, really good at it too. Joseph, one of his sons and his whole family, watched sheep until he got sold out by his brothers. You go through Moses. Moses was a shepherd. Amos, one of the prophets, he was a shepherd. 
And you go through and realize that it's shepherd after shepherd after shepherd throughout the whole Old Testament and a bunch of the New Testament guys. So what do we know about shepherds? I didn't know a whole lot, so I had to go look it up. And in my research, this is kind of what I found. We're all shepherds, good guys, right? It's always the noble ones, the ones that are always clean and super Christian, right? Isn't that what... No, not at all. As a matter of fact... These were the guys that were ordinary blue-collar workers that tended toward the rough side of life. Now, not all of them were harsh, but most of them had to be. And here's why. Even though society, in theory, thought the idea of a shepherd was a good thing. Like, for example, they knew they would refer to God as their shepherd. Even though, in theory, it sounded good, in practicality, they were somewhat outcast. They were certainly not respected. They knew that people needed to be shepherds. They knew they were a necessary part of life. But you know what? They weren't very high up on the totem pole. As a matter of fact, they were the base level of society. Necessary? Yes. But stinky and disgusting. So no one wanted to hang out with them. Why? What do you do for a living? You hang out in the fields. You get all that scent on you. You hold sheep, work with sheep, handle all kinds of messy problems with animals. And then you had to be a tough guy. Why do you have to be a tough guy? Because it's a dangerous job. You're out there in the middle of the night. Raiders are coming in trying to take your sheep so you have to defend your flock. Animals, predators are constantly on the move to try to steal your sheep. Nowadays, shepherds are equipped with guns. Nowadays, they carry axes. Back in the day, it was rod, it was sling, it was things that you could shoot from a distance, right? The whole throw the sling like David did. Because you are constantly being attacked. Nowadays, the primary predators over in the Middle East are jackals and wolves. But back in the day, before we killed them all, it was also bears and lions. Can you imagine trying to send out your young son to go out and watch the flock? Usually it was a little bit older because they were nervous about their kids being out in the dark. It was primarily male-dominated. Because the women couldn't defend themselves out there. Because the shepherds weren't a good crew of guys. It was not safe for women to be out there. The only time a woman largely would be a shepherdess is largely if there were no sons in the family and they couldn't afford to hire out. So, as a matter of fact, in the Old Testament, Rachel was a shepherdess. But when she got to the well, she couldn't even lift off the lid. Remember, this is a tough, physically demanding nomadic life just recently i was going through i live in Folsom, and one of my uh, daughters had a field trip to the Folsom history museum and i was learning about the pony express because that was one of the stops now the pony express only ran i believe for 18 months but it was intriguing as to who they chose to ride the horses you remember that i mean it was they literally wrote we want orphans because you're probably going to die doing this and we don't want your family mad at us right and the youngest rider was 14 years old. But that was a dangerous gig. All right, so now we begin to get a different look at shepherds. I would like to liken them to any industry that you can think of right now that is blue-collar and a little bit more on the tough side of things. Because these guys were hired guns. They were able to kill when necessary. 
But let's just say it's a normal job, average every day, and on the work site, they talked about what guys talk about, right? So let's, let's liken them to construction workers, right? On the construction site, guys, what do you guys do on the construction site? You work, and then when it's free time, what do you guys talk about? You guys talk about the Bible, right? Isn't that right? Talk about the Bible, probably talk about your moms, right? Okay. No, I think you probably talk about a bunch of stuff that you never end up talking about at church, right? All right, I get it. That's these guys. What did Jesus do for a living before he entered the ministry? He's a carpenter. He's in the construction business. See, the Jews were blue-collar. Jesus' crew, God's useful men, many of them were just blue-collar. Somehow we've twisted it to where nowadays, especially in California, we end up getting this idea that church is filled with suburban, white-collar, computer folk. That that's what it's all about. That's what Christianity is about. It actually is pretty detached from the roots. I would suggest to you I'm way too much of a pansy to hang out with Jesus and his crew. Right? If I was literally living in that day, they would think that I'm a little sissy boy. Right? Because they're out there doing the hard stuff. They're out there digging stuff and moving stuff and cutting stuff. And they're talking with each other. And it was a rough environment. And here I come in with no calluses. The only ones I have are from the gym, right? I mean, it's embarrassing, right? But in the Bible, tough deal. They were a warring nation. So when you begin to think about the context of these stories, whole different ballgame. Imagine if God showed up to a bunch of construction workers They ran out into the cities and started saying the Messiah was here. Wouldn't you be a little suspicious? Yeah, and I think so was everybody else. Luke chapter 2, verse 1. Let's read through this together. Luke 2. Apparently my Luke doesn't have chapter 2. Oh, there it is. All right, Luke chapter 2, verse 1. We're just going to read through verse 20, and then we'll pray for the word and begin today. In those days, Luke said, Caesar Augustus issued a decree that a census should be taken of the entire Roman world. This was the first census that took place while Quirinius was governor of Syria. And everyone went to his own town to register. So Joseph went up from the town of Nazareth in Galilee to Judea, to Bethlehem, the town of David, because he belonged to the house and line of David. He went there to register with Mary, who was pledged to be married to him and was expecting a child. While they were there, the time came for the baby to be born, and she gave birth to her firstborn, a son. She wrapped him in cloths and placed him in a manger because there was no room for them in the inn. There were shepherds living out in the fields nearby, keeping watch over their flocks at night. And an angel of the Lord appeared to them, and the glory of the Lord shone around them, and they were terrified. But the angel said to them, Do not be afraid, I bring you good news. Of great joy that will be for all the people. Today, in the town of David, a Savior has been born to you. He is Christ the Lord. This will be a sign to you. You will find a baby wrapped in cloths and lying in a manger. Suddenly, a great company of the heavenly host appeared with the angel, praising God and saying, Glory to God in the highest and on earth peace to men on whom his favor rests. 
When the angels had left them and gone into heaven, the shepherds said to one another, Let's go to Bethlehem and see this thing that has happened, which the Lord has told us about. So they hurried off and found Mary and Joseph and the baby who was lying in the manger. And when they had seen him, they spread the word concerning what they had been told about this child. And all who heard it were amazed at what the shepherds had said. But Mary treasured up all these things and pondered them in her heart. The shepherds returned, glorifying and praising God for all the things that they had heard and seen, which were just as they had been told. Would you pray with me? Heavenly Father, thank you for this morning. Thank you for a walk through your word. And an ability to look at the story in but a different perspective. May you be glorified. May you be praised in this Christmas time. That we wouldn't make it about commercialism. That we wouldn't make it about ourselves. Happy birthday, Jesus. We are so amazed that you came. May our lives reflect that that arrival was not in vain. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. The fill in the blank in front of you is this. God changed the world with shepherds and fishermen. God changed the world with shepherds and fishermen. The everyman. The common man. The guys and ladies just like us. Let's take a look at what this has for us. It says, in those days, Caesar Augustus, that was the leader of the Roman Empire at the time, he issued a decree that a census should be taken. He wanted to count the people. Nothing unusual. It says, this is the first census that took place while Quirinius was the governor of Syria. Don't know, don't care. And everyone went to his own town to register. So, Joseph also went up from the town of Nazareth in Galilee, and he went down to Judah, to Bethlehem, the town of David, because he belonged to the house and line of David. First thing we need to know, how average and mundane. God was about to do an incredible thing, the incarnation God becoming flesh and dwelling among us. Now, truly, the miracle happened at the conception. The idea that God would be planted in a woman and that we would have a God-man that would walk upon the earth is truly the miracle. The Christmas story, however, is incredibly average. And sure enough, God wants to do it through a prophetic line. It needed to happen in Bethlehem. You would assume that if God's going to show up, that he's going to have light beams and teleportation and all kinds of shocking star stuff. There was none of it. He said, we're going to count people. Okay, that's how I'm going to move them to the city. Very average. They're not going to know anything's going on. They're not going to get that anything's going on. It's just going to happen. All right, let's make it practical. Why do you live here? Why do you work where you work? Why are you in the relationship you're in? Largely because God moves through average, ordinary means. You keep waiting for a Christian tag to be put on it. Why? 
Why can't it be that God has been orchestrating things that you don't even recognize? All throughout my life, when you look backwards, you tend to see it, right? Isn't hindsight 2020? Oh, God has his hand on my life. But if I ask you about tomorrow, God clearly took his hands off and walked away. But if you look backwards, I look at the fact of why I was born in this generation. Why I was born in this area of the world. Why did it have to be this way? It was all pretty basic. I was born in Pasadena, California. I was born in Southern Cal. But when I was three, my dad wanted to shift from being a teacher to a principal. So we got a job in Loomis. Because everyone moves from Southern California to Loomis. I was three years old. That was 35 years ago. And they only had two places that they could afford to live. There's only two places that they could buy property and build a house. Granite Bay and El Dorado Hills. Is that not weird? I can afford neither. Right now. But everything else was horse property, if you remember that. Much larger tracts of land. They couldn't, it wouldn't parcel out. Only Granite Bay and El Dorado Hills cut it into smaller pieces. So, we had two options of houses. My parents chose El Dorado Hills because it was a little bit less money. And so my dad commuted around the lake to Loomis. And I've lived in that area all my life. Average, ordinary Hand of God. Think about all the things that God is orchestrating. Do you see it? Are you watching it? Or are you waiting for something dramatic and super spiritual to happen? No, God has been directing you every day throughout your life. We just lack the eyes to see. Sure enough, God was moving in this scenario. The next thing is it says, So Joseph went up from the town of Nazareth in Galilee to Judea to Bethlehem to the town of David because he belonged to the house and line of David and he went there to register with Mary who was pledged to be married to him and was expecting a child. Now granted, that's weird. The whole Mary thing, I got pregnant but there wasn't a guy involved, that's weird. I already told you the whole conception part was miraculous. But there was an awful lot of drama and scandal that was involved in this. But the trip to Bethlehem was normal and boring. Right? Anybody ever seen the Nativity Story, that movie that came out recently? Did you guys see that? All right. My kids love it. I think it's incredibly boring. All right? It's boring because it's a long trip on a donkey to another town. That is the slowest road trip I've ever seen. What do you do? I don't know. We just went like a couple feet every day and she's super pregnant and it's super uncomfortable, right? It was pretty darn mundane. It was, wow, really? Do we have to go right now? I don't feel all that comfortable. I don't want to ride a donkey. Right? Nine months pregnant. Come rolling up into Bethlehem after a number of days. That's hard. It was average. It was ordinary. And then it says, while they were there, the time came for the baby to be born. She gave birth to her firstborn, a son. That was it. No fanfare. Just the birth of a baby. All right. Let me ask you this. What's it like when a baby's born? Oh, a little different, right? 
Now, for some of you, you've been around the birth of children a lot. I have two kids of my own. I was there with my niece when she had my great nephew. So I've seen birth. I've seen it cesarean. I've seen it regular. I've seen all of it. And you know what? It's pretty normal human stuff. As a matter of fact, it's a pretty rough concept. As you watch birth, it's not on. All these lights come down. It's messy. It's crazy. It's this, oh my gosh, I've never been in so much pain. I want to kill everyone. It's that. That's the birth. Guess what this birth was like? That. Jesus did not come out glowing. He came out just like every other baby, looking funky alien until you cleaned him up and got him breathing. Right? It's like every other baby. Conception, miraculous. Birth, normal. And now we have a little baby. And it moves on. It says this. She wrapped him in cloth. That's pretty normal. She placed him in a food trough. That's weird. It's not as weird for them because they are the whole agricultural animal husbandry, I hang out in the grass a lot kind of group. Right? They're shepherds. They understand this kind of stuff. They're carpenters. They're pretty people of the earth. So the idea that you would line something that sits up like a crib is pretty brilliant. You line it out. You lay the baby in it. The baby's swaddled. It's comfortable. It's all wrapped up like a little burrito baby. And he's all comfy. And you just set him down. That's it. Pretty normal. Now, this whole no room for them at the end thing, I really think that has been taken out of context. I've done a lot of research on it, and it's much more likely that it was not that they got pushed out. It was that the family had no private place for her to have a child. Remember, when you come in for a census, it's everybody in every room. That's not a place you want to have a baby. So they gave them the only location that was private which was outside in the cave barn, down below the house. Likely, I would assume, Joseph got kicked out, so the women of the house came and helped Mary have the baby. It was all very average. So it moves on, and it says this. There were shepherds living out in the fields nearby, keeping watch over their flocks at night. Is that weird? Nope. It's what they did every night. It's guys, blue-collar workers, working the night shift. That's it. They always work there. Why? Because Bethlehem is right next to Jerusalem, where a whole bunch of sheep are slaughtered for animal sacrifice. So you normally had an area right by where they would do lots of raising of sheep. So shepherds were super common. And of course they're out in the fields at night. That's when the danger comes. The shepherds are always with the sheep. The idea that they're right nearby is not a big deal. Of course they're there. But then it says this. An angel of the Lord. We know later in another account that it was Gabriel. Gabriel and his crew show up. An angel of the Lord appeared to them. And the glory of the Lord shone around them. And they were terrified. Now that's weird. That's supernatural. That's not normal. But what I think is intriguing is that this working class average group of guys got the call first from God. Why? You go, well, he also brought Magi. Are you pretty clear that the Magi didn't come till about two years later? 
There's a huge difference between when the Magi came and the shepherds. I know in our little nativity scene, everybody hangs out together. That's not true. Big gap. The king portion of it, the royalty portion, the brilliant guys didn't come till far later. It was the average guys first. Why? Because that's God's M.O. He always does it that way. Pentecost, where the Holy Spirit hits, 3,000 get saved. That sermon was preached by a what? A fisherman. The average guy. The guy who we just studied his book, named Peter. And he writes really lame and very immature and very rookie. Why? Because he's not an educated guy. He's a regular guy. Turn the world upside down. That's how God does it. As a matter of fact, Luke's whole system as he unrolls it is how God kept turning everything upside down. You would assume that the first people that would be notified about the birth of the Messiah would be who? The priests or the prophets. It was neither. The priests don't get notified till the eighth day when Jesus gets circumcised. They don't even get first. It's the regular guy. He gets tapped on the shoulder, a huge company of angels come down and tell the construction workers, hey, you guys, get up, here we go. The Messiah is here. Do you understand how powerful that message is? Everything the whole Jewish nation has been waiting for, the promised chosen one, the Messiah, and these guys are going to go tell everybody. Boy, everyone's going to go, wait a second, why would would God tell you? Why wouldn't God tell the priests? I don't think it's legit. It immediately brings suspicion. It says, when the glory of the Lord shone around them, they were terrified. Now, everybody's terrified when they see an angel, right? That's not new. What I think maybe made them a little bit unhinged was, what if Jesus walked up on your construction site when you're talking with the guys? I think that's unsettling, right? When you're hanging out with the boys... And Jesus sits up, slides up next to you at the bar. What's up, guys? What are we talking about? Um, Ecclesiastes. He's like, no, you weren't, you liar. You were talking about that girl right over there. That, I think, is a little unsettling. Jesus comes into their life out of nowhere. And this angel walks up and says, we have something really important to do. The guy spits out his chew. (laughs) What? Right? But the angel said to them, do not be afraid. I bring you good news of great joy that will be for all the people. For today. He told them the day of. Today. In the town of David, that's Bethlehem. A savior has been born to you. He's the Messiah. The master. And this will be a sign to you. You're going to find a baby wrapped in cloths and... Lining in a manger. Then suddenly a great company of the heavenly host appeared with the angel praising God and saying, Glory to God in the highest and on earth, peace to men on whom his favor rests. Not a lot of help to go find this kid. Did you notice that? What were their only instructions? You'll go find a baby wrapped in cloth. They're like, we're not even good with kids. I don't even know. What what are we talking about? I'm going to go find a baby? What's the Messiah was just born? All right, so... There's a star over the house, right? No. That's the Magi thing years later. There's no star. There's just regular night. Well, how are we supposed to find a baby? 
Well, I'll tell you, he's lying in a food trough. Why? Doesn't matter. Go find the baby in the food trough. Okay, we live in an area where there's a million barns. It could be any food trough. They were immediately taxed with the idea of follow-through. What are they going to do? They're going to go do it? They've got to go hunt this kid down. They have one night to go do it. They've got to run around and start going, anybody see a baby in a food trough? Anybody seen a baby in a food trough? That just sounds weird. Everyone's busy. The census is being taken. Family's in town. It's reunion time. Likely everyone's asleep. Boy, this is awkward. The story says this. When the angels had left them and gone into heaven, the shepherds said to one another, let's go to Bethlehem. Let's see this thing that has happened. Meaning they were outside the city. They have to go walk into town and go find this kid. It's a small town, granted. But let's see this thing that has happened, which the Lord has told us about. So they hurried off and found Mary and Joseph and the baby who was lying in the manger. They could have just wallowed in the experience. Wow, did you guys see that? Yeah, there's angels there. Oh good, I thought I was just... Right? I mean, I know I had some to drink. I didn't think I had that much to drink. But you saw that, right? Yeah, so what are we going to do? I guess we're going to Bethlehem. And find this kid. Yeah. All right. Then they say, what? Let's go find this thing that the Lord has told us about. You know what Lord means? We use it too easily. Lord means what? Master, until your life lines up, Let's be careful on using it. Understand? Stop calling someone master that is not your master. If you are still calling the shots, he's not the master. He's only the master when you give in to his direction. I have a feeling that the majority of us, including myself, should not be using the word Lord at all. Except maybe when we come to church. Because that's the one time that we suddenly have our hearts lined up and we start doing what he asks us to do. In general, we shouldn't be using the word Lord because it doesn't apply. And yet they use the word Lord. Why? Because they were about to be obedient. Stop looking at the exterior. Stop determining who should be in leadership based on how great they look. Or how God can't use them. They have this kind of job. What are you talking about? God can use anybody. As a matter of fact, he uses everybody. Of course he can use you. We constantly look in the mirror and say, I'm not equipped for the ministry. What are you talking about? If your heart is humble and obedient, you are equipped. Because that's all they had. They were obedient and they were willing. Is that you? Welcome to the ministry. It's not about degrees. It's not about flash and paper and flair. It's about hearts. So whoever you are, if God is tapping you on the shoulder and asking you to do something for Him, stop making excuses. You are equipped. It's time to go. He moves on. He says this. They hurried off and they found Him. Found the baby lying in the manger, so of course they were successful. When they had seen him, they spread the word concerning what had been told them about this child. All who heard it were amazed at what the shepherds said to him. All right, first thing I noticed, 
you got shepherd preachers. That's weird. They went out and they started telling everyone what? The Messiah is born. Well, how do you know? Because angels came and told us. Sure, the angels came and told you. No, seriously. The angels came and they said there's going to be a baby. We went, found the baby. It was lying in cloth in a manger, just like they said. All right. What the baby look like? A baby. Was the baby glowing? No, the baby wasn't glowing. Did the baby have a mark? Did you turn it over to see if there was some type of Messiah mark on it? No, I didn't turn the baby over. It was sleeping. How do you know it's a Messiah? Because God told me so. Do you have any proof? No. Do you have any evidence? No. What are we talking about then? I'm telling you the Messiah is here. All right. That's all they had. What do you have when you go out and minister? Nothing but your testimony. God did this in my life. You sure he did? Yeah, I'm sure he did. You got any evidence? No. Got any proof? No. Then what are we talking about? We're talking about what God did in my life. I can't argue you into heaven. I can't give you every reason for all your questions. I can't sort everything out for you because I don't know. All I know is that I used to be blind and now I see. I do know that Jesus told me that he died for my sins and that he will take me home. Well, are you sure about that? Did it look crazy? Did you have a big experience? No, it was really ordinary. Then you're sure it happened? Yes. How? In my heart. Oh, it's in your heart. When the people heard the message, they were amazed. Why? Because it's not about the deliverer. It's not about the messenger. The message rocked their world. When you go and minister to someone in your life, God has already been there for years. It's not about you having all the answers. It's not about you knowing what to say. You're just a piece of the puzzle, and you're next in line to tap them on the shoulder and tell them that Jesus loves them. The message will do the work. It says, but Mary treasured up all these things and pondered them in her heart. Why? Because it was weird. You're a young lady. First, you get blown away by the idea that you're going to have the Son of God. You have this weird mix-up with a guy who you wanted to marry. You were about to be divorced. Your world's been spun upside down. You've never had a kid before. You're freaked out. Now a bunch of construction workers are knocking on the door asking to see your kid. You're having a rough day. So you ponder things. Right? It says, the shepherds returned, meaning they went back. Glorifying and praising God for all the things they had heard and seen, just as they had been told. They were changed men. Let me close with two thoughts. Number one, have you ever received a gift that you actually needed? Okay, mostly we get gifts that we want, right? But have you ever got a gift that you needed? Not like socks or underwear, okay? Now, I I know we need them. But those are lame gifts. Okay. Very useful, but lousy. You ever got a gift that you needed, that was vital to your life? Can you imagine someone that is homeless receiving a home or shelter? Someone that is starving literally receives a meal. Someone that is dying of thirst 
receives a drink. These are the gifts in the level I'm talking about. Because the gift that Jesus Christ gave us is the gift of reconciliation with God and eternal life. We need it. It's vital to our existence. Second point, the gift is for everyone. Not the elite, not the fancy, not the white collar, not the suburban alone, but the urban, the out of work, the homeless, the poor, the messed up, the wicked. The message is for us. If you have never opened up your heart to allow Jesus to come in and lead your life different by cleansing you from your sins, today is the day of salvation. This is the day you open the gift. And if you have already received this gift, did you put it on the shelf? Get it back down, unlock it this season, and look at it again. Because it's pretty amazing. I'm about to pray. And if in your heart you realize you need a Savior, I want you to get in touch with God right now. I want you to pray in your heart, God, I don't know much about you, but I know I need you. I know I'm making a mess of this. Save me. I'm tired of doing all that I'm doing. I don't want to move that way anymore. I give my life over to you, and moving forward, I will make you Lord, Master of me. If you're willing to do that, you have begun a walk with Christ. Welcome to the family. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, thank you for today. Lord, why you do things the way that you do, I don't, I don't fully get it. I know parts of it. I think I know. But here you are, orchestrating our lives so that we would show up at this service on a Sunday morning. Real close to Christmas. And it's this time that you move upon our heart to take our gift off the shelf, blow off the dust, and open it. Renew our joy in our salvation. Show us again, Lord, what is so amazing about Christmas. What is so amazing about Easter. What is so amazing about you living in us. Jesus, you said that you're the good shepherd that lays down his life for his sheep. You said that by your wounds we may be healed. Would you heal us today? In Jesus' name, amen.